Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're within one month of the Nebraska football season, and it's Husker football, volleyball, and more on the Pick Six podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Sam McCune along with Jimmy Watkins. Uh, Evan Bland is not with us today. He's working on a special story that will show up in Sunday's special. newspaper. It'll be a good one. Yeah. And we, we I'm won't excited. we won't spoil it or anything like that. But Evan's busy working on a story that I think is gonna be really a good read for Husker. Involves fans. a prominent Husker football player. This is right. Um and it, no, it's not a scandalous story. It's a good one. Oh yeah. It's a good feature. I, I, I said so, that kind of weird. Evan Evan is Evan is not with us and I believe Tom is out today. Although you know, with Tom, you just never quite know. He might he might drop by and just kind of pop in here and go, "Hey, you need somebody to talk for five minutes?" <laughs> sure. But for now, it's going to be Jimmy and I, uh, and we're going to we're going to talk a little Husker football. Uh, obviously, we've seen it. We see we saw camp yesterday, and we've uh, talked to both the offensive and defensive coordinators. I'll get Jimmy's initial thoughts. We're talk a little bit about Nebraska's schedule. I do this every year, where I rank the easiest to hardest games for the paper. Jimmy's going to give his list, and we'll kind of go back and forth, and then mine will be in the uh, online on Wednesday. I want to talk a little bit of national college football. Um, I had to put in my AP poll yesterday. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that and how that's probably going to end up looking. And then we'll finish with John Cook, Kayla Caffey, Nebraska Volleyball. Um, I have thoughts there. I've, I've shared a few of them on a different podcast, but I'll share a few here as well. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about... Um, for one thing, how sometimes in life you can make things harder on yourself in a way that you intended to make things easier. And I think that's part of what happened with Nebraska volleyball. But we'll get to that eventually. Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I am between apartments right now. I am living in the basement of one of my friend's parents' places. And... Uh, Trying to make that work. I'm carrying a, I'm, a yeah, gallon, carrying, jug, carrying of a gallon water. jug of water to stain me throughout the day. Basically, yeah. I wake up in the morning. I skedaddle out of there as quickly as I possibly can. I'm gone all day. I bring a change of clothes. I shower at the gym. I do all my work. You bring coffee. a change of clothes with you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, I do not all my even work. shower in there? No. I, well, sometimes. I did this morning. Okay. You'll be thankful to know. But, um, <laughs> I will. Yeah, I, I basically try to leave when it's daylight and come back when it's dark, just to. You're like Laszlo Holloway. I from stay. Real I stay out of their a way. Movie you've probably never seen. Definitely, but really should. I stay out of their way. Now they that you know the n- name of the movie, you should see it. It's working okay. You're Laszlo Holloway. I'll wear it. You just nobody knows that you're there except you're there, and you've I'll, been there a long time. I'll wear it. Here's my thought, Jimmy. Once you move into your apartment, which by the way is in what the the swanky downtown Haymarket, right? It is in Haymarket, yes. Come Once you do that, and we don't want to tell anybody exactly where it is because well, we don't want anybody to come knock doors. on your door. You're knocking enough doors. You, You'll hear about me if you, <laughs> if you write anything about you know the Nebraska basketball team. Anybody gets mad at, but I'll tell you what. I think you should maintain a presence at this home that you're at now. Okay, I do. I think you should, you know, just a retainer. You pay him ten dollars every. Drop in. <laughs> wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be smart to kind of just have, you know, houses all over the city of Lincoln, where if Jimmy needs to drop in and write a few, a little getaway, a few lines, a little getaway. I don't mind it. Fill up your giant water <laughs> bottle idea. here. 
They do. The milk, have a, the milk jug. They now, have a, now, did this actually have milk in it that you drank? No, no, or no, no, did no. you pour the this milk out? This was a water. This was all. This always oh, okay. has been a water. Okay. I purchased it at Hy-Vee as a water, and uh, it's still that. There's a there's a water cooler in the kitchen that I'm staying at that I am just because it bleeding it dry a, right it now. It has a cap for milk. Does it? Highland. Does yeah, Highland make water? I don't know what to tell you. There's Highland. I've heard of Highland French onion dip. Um, Do you like French onion dip? I love French onion dip. Okay. Really good. Really mean, good. I don't really know what your favorite foods are, really. We don't need to get into it. We don't need to get into but it. you yet. like that. Now, I do what like kind French of chip onion do you dip. like to dip into the French uh, onion dip? French onion dip is a, is a potato chip okay. deal. I would go. Wavy? Uh, f- sure. Ruffles. That sort of deal. Yeah, not Ruffles the thin guys. Ruffles hot in your teeth. Okay, but the thin guy's breaking the dip. That's not what we're trying to That's do. That's right. That's not what we're trying to do. You uh, want yeah. a thicker one. Potato chips, thick ones on the French onion dip, and then, you know, like tortilla chips and salsa guac. You double dip Et cetera. Dip. If it's just me, and if, I, if I'm among, like, I... <laughs> if it's just you, it's, it's, not just just, me. it's not double dipping. Well, that's just double. Dipping. the definition doesn't change, but I also feel that dub, the double dipping thing is just a little bit overblown we, so if you if it's you a germ it, we live in a germophobic society i'm not going to just go to a public event and be, you know just drenching my carrot on both ends in the veggie dip i'm not doing that but i've had situations where friends and i mutually agree upon hey like we've spent enough time around each other where whatever cooties we have we already yeah. gave to each other if there so. were 19 vegetables on a on a vegetable tray the baby carrot would be the last one i would pick oh up. really that's pretty much the only one as i'm looking at a, as that's what only one i'm to looking putting at. something in a dip yeah that's I'll the only one peppers, i'm looking at i'll go with any other vehicle to put that dip okay. in my mouth other than the carrot which is like a it's just like hard to chew and again it gets caught in your teeth well we're, like com- ruffles. we're coming at this from different perspectives makes for a good podcast it does so let's talk football let's nebraska football We've talked to Eric Chenander, who I think is always kind of the same, and it's not in a bad way. I think he, I think he has a. There's always a lot of detail and clarity about where he sees guys at. You ask him a question about an individual player, and he's going to give you 30 seconds of. This is where we think he is. This is what we think he can do. We think he's got movement skills. We asked him about Javen Wright, who he has not seen in two years, and he gave us a good answer about well, he can do this, this, and this. He hasn't tackled in two years, but 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 he's good at that. Mark Whipple's a little more general, <laughs> a little bit, you know, yeah. he's more of a head coach in that Boilerplate. He's a head coach. Yeah. He's a head coach. He happens to be a coordinator right now, but he spent half of his career as a head coach. And he kind of talks like one at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he, he talks broadly. We watched camp yesterday. Um, I spent a lot of time with the QBs. I think you were kind of with the running backs, maybe a little with the wide receivers. I spent some time with the, the big boys as well. Okay. And so your general impression of, A, just how the defensive coaches sound, B, offensive coaches, we talked three yesterday, and C, just what you saw in camp. All right. I mean, those three things. Not necessarily in that order, just okay. whatever you want. Defensive coaches um, like the talent. They um, This is their perspective. They like the talent. They're still trying to organize it. Yeah. Uh, I think of Travis Fisher when I say that. he's He said during the spring – that he know he already knew he was who was going to play by the spring game. That's how he operates basically every year. Right. Now, where are they going to play? How often are they going to play? What are those combinations going to look? Or what are those combinations going to look like? That's what we're still trying to figure out. Um, there's an interesting dynamic in that room where Quentin Newsom has been asked to take on a drastically different leadership role. Yeah. Last year, Quentin Newsom was one of those 
hey, could you scooch closer to the mic, guys, at the podium? Yes. He's quiet. Yep. He's not naturally uh, the rah-rah guy. Right. Different ways to lead don't have and to be. And you know Quentin Elizabeth, you wrote yes, a yeah. long feature on Definitely him. don't need to be a rah-rah guy to be right. an effective leader. But, you know, Fisher's anecdote about Newsom not knowing where the freshmen were, for those who don't know, Quinn Newsom used to get in trouble. That's Fisher's words for, you know, Fisher sees a freshman. He used the example Malcolm Hartsock. I don't know if that's actually who he was talking about, but that's the example he used. Hey, I just saw Malcolm Hartsock walking across campus. Where is he? Quinton doesn't know. That's a demerit against you as a leader. Right. The example he used to show that he has taken strides there on the first day of camp. Quinton Newsom saw a freshman sitting in the back. Quinton Newsom took his bag, sat right down next to him. That's where we're at here. This That group is still in the beginning stages of uh, leadership transitioning. Sure. It sounds like the defensive line is a little bit further advanced in that regard mm. because Garrett Nelson has emerged as a, le- as, a le- as a leader across the entire team, but he's working in with the D-line. The edge and the D-line guys are working together, so right. he's very vocal. He's he's They have a more settled situation there, and Ty Robinson, while still uh, young in the program, He's played a lot, so he knows he knows what is supposed to be done, and he can. He does. He's the he, iron fist guy. He wants to say the right thing and yeah. be about the right things. Yes. I think Robinson's consistency on the field needs to improve for sure. I think they've told him that. Yeah. Um, but continue. And the linebackers are set. Like we don't even really need to talk about Henrik and Reimer, except for fingers crossed that they stay healthy because yeah. they. It would be also real quick. Would be nice for them to develop some depth this fall because those guys never came off the field last year, and it's not sustainable. Um, what was the second thing that you asked me? I'm going to respond to that okay. quickly. I, it's great when your leaders are up the middle of your defense, in theory. Like, you'd love to have a, um, you know, a nose tackle or a defensive tackle who's just a, an ass kicker uh, verbally and all those things. And I think Robinson's kind of moving into that role. I think Hutmaker's actually going to end up being the guy out of that group who are like, yeah, don't mess with that guy. Mm. Ty's a really nice guy. And he's he's bigger, I think, than Hutmaker, but I think he, he you know, I think it Andre, Ty needs to take a little time to get Henri. You know, he loves kids and he wants to be a pediatrician and you know, he's just a good guy. Um Henrich and Reimer, I think they also to your point about Nash, I haven't talked to him a ton of times, but he sounded pretty hoarse at the Yeah at the press conference when we talked to him, which suggests to me my guy's been using his voice. Yeah. And your interior linemen, I think, have some of that. I think the the middle linebackers are both are both you know quality but quiet leaders. And then the question mark is safety. Is Miles Farmer going to be Deontay Williams? Is he going to be Markel Dismuke? Is he going to be Trey Neal? Is he going to be Aaron Williams? They've actually had some really good leaders back there. You don't remember Aaron Williams and Trey Neal, but those were good leaders mm-hmm. back in, in 2018. And so I, I I'll be interested to see kind of how that process finally sorts out from a leadership perspective offense go offense um it's kind of a wait and see it's that because of i'm I'm thinking about what whipple was saying yesterday he's just projecting confidence Mm. i don't know like he said you know you don't feel like it was you know like uh, informed maybe maybe it is maybe it isn't i just think that no matter what he's seeing right now he was going to say i feel great about the offensive line. I feel great about the quarterbacks. Everyone's made progress. Yada yada yada. And you can selectively. You don't even have to. You don't even have to mislead people when you say that. You can just pick and choose the good things that you've seen from camp, sure. and say that into the microphone. And Whipple has been around long enough to understand that, and to know that with a group so new, 
that's still moving so many different parts. It's and it clearly is his opinion that I don't think it does any good to light the entire offense on fire into the microphone. I don't think I think it sounds to me that it's been mostly pretty good from all the coaches' standpoint. Mm-hmm. Mickey Joseph said the receivers had a rough day yesterday, but for the most part they've been pretty good. And when he challenges them, they usually bounce back. Um, but I think it's first of all, it's five days into camp, so we've got a long way to go. But I also just think that Whipple, like you said taking that head coach uh, approach to it is only going to project positivity, confidence to the media, and then he'll handle what he needs to handle behind closed doors. Sure. That's my, that was my read on it. I think the quarterback thing is relatively settled, but I think they, they want to see Casey Thompson play well, and I think if he doesn't, there's going to be, there's going to be conversations. Um, I don't think, for example, I thought Adrian Martinez could have struggles and aside from the one year where, where they really wanted to give Luke McCaffrey a chance, Adrian was really going to have to struggle to, to sit down. Um, and he didn't struggle that much last year. I think he had a lot of good games. But I think with Thompson, you know, the upside of Casey Thompson, the playmaking ability, I think, is, is embedded in the structure of the offense. So Casey, unlike Adrian, is not probably going to run for a 78-yard touchdown. Like Adrian can get it back. Right, like you always hear that phrase, you can't get it all back in one play. Well, you can get some of it back in one play, and Adrian Martinez is actually capable of doing that. I think Thompson is more of a you know within the system kind of quarterback. Stay on schedule, yeah. yeah. And so I think they want to see that, and so I think you're going to see a little bit of efficiency and what matters to him and things like that. Um, you know, I think there's a sense among the, the the quarterback group that Chubb has got some ability, but needs to show it. You know, in training camp, and yeah, the, uh, the injury in the spring didn't I help. I think really the hindered our injury. Yeah, in the spring didn't help. Really hindered his ability to compete for this job. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then you know, the comments that Joseph made, and I said this on uh, the Showdown podcast with Amy, don't surprise me. Oh, no. The the idea about finding a leader because most of the guys, you know, three of the top six or seven are transfers. One of them might be a freshman. And the guys that are returners were not leader, big leaders anyway. Like Martin and Manning were, were not what I would describe. Neither was Xavier Betts. No, no, I wouldn't have about, described any of them as what you would call, hey, I'm out here. Come follow me. Well, they weren't on the field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Manning well, not was cons- at times. You at, know. Was at times. Well, <laughs> To be yeah. a leader, you know, you can't, you can't, people Martin, can't follow Martin you if you're not always Martin out there. didn't miss right. a lot of games. You know, yeah. I'm sure that. they would and love for Omar Manning to be, yes. you know, to completely live into. And he would be the guy potential. I would pick of the of the top of that crop because mm-hmm. he's just the most, um, well, he's the most. Yeah, he's thoughtful. I don't want to say uh, well-spoken is like the thing that people say no, when it's thoughtful. like, hey, that guy, you know, if we put but a sentence together. It. It's he, just he, he talks it. more. Yeah. Trey Palmer is naturally introverted. Oliver Martin, you put him at, at the microphone, he's naturally, you know kind of laid back Oliver's insightful he's insightful um, but, but he's it, not it, yeah you know what I mean yep. Omar Manning the confidence is, piece Omar Manning yeah. is animated when he speaks yeah I I think he's had a good camp and I think that helps them base I'm basing that off of what Joseph said yesterday so there you know Joseph said a few harsh things but he also had some some compliments the big question I think is the offensive line of course I mean, let's be honest we can yeah. I want I want to know what you thought of them in the camp what can you think of them in that setting? I, you know, I think it was good to see. How Teddy. How would you describe? 
it was good to see Teddy Prohaska. What was the size profile? Oh, big boys. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's real size out there. That's good. But I don't, you know, that says, I don't think that that necessarily means a ton. I think it doesn't, it's, it doesn't necessarily, yeah. yeah. You can, you can have a smaller line and be really good. You can have a big line and get, and be good. Well, you can have a big line and get toasted. Yes. You can. if, you, if you can't move your feet well enough. But That's right. I, yeah, I'm not, my offensive line judgments, I have none. They, it's good to see Teddy Prohaska back. It's good to see Turner Corcoran back. Interested to see, interesting to see Turner Corcoran working at left guard. I think if we go, we go back to practice enough times this fall, we'll see him working somewhere else as well. Um, we just, you know, Brock Bando, I wasn't there for yesterday, so I, I didn't hear what he said. We haven't heard from much of those guys yet. So that's a big fat TBD. It's been a big fat TBD. Yeah. I anticipate that it will continue to be a big fat TBD in fall camp because Nebraska loves holding things close to the vest. I will be very interested to see uh, what Dominic or what uh, Donovan Rayola says. It's a. If anything. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the five were the five that we saw. Teddy Prohaska, Brock Bando, Trent Hickson, um, Turner Corcoran, and Bryce Benhart. Swap Bando and Corcoran. Corcoran's on the left, Bando's on the right. Um, it's the size profile of that group would tell you that they're going to lean on people. They're going to get off the ball. They're going to try to be physical and aggressive in those first couple of Run. couple of steps. Yeah. How they'll move, I don't know. You know, um, can they get out and, and get across the field the way Jurgens did? I'm not sure. We'll just have to see what kind of line they can have. Like, um, you know, Minnesota's line is huge. Minnesota doesn't do a lot of moving with their linemen. They, they run a lot of inside zone, and they, they run some outside zone. They don't necessarily do a ton of pulling. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain art form to, to being really good in the run game when it comes to gap gap blocking and pull-in and things like that. And that can be effective, by the way, like that, especially oh, sure. in pro-style offense. Oh, sure, but you guys got to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have to be. And, and in the NFL, it's it's not common for your tackles to be like, uh, for your players who aren't at tackle to be super huge. Right. So there there are centers and guards in the NFL that are 295. Mm-hmm. You can move. Cam Jurgens. Um, sure. And like, you know, you're... you're, you're who, by the way, I saw a camp report yesterday that Cam Jurgens. Uh, handled Jordan Davis pretty well one-on-one. That doesn't surprise me. Cam's very strong, mm-hmm. and he's athletic, and he, and he understands leverage because he was a wrestler and, and a lot of other things. So Cam, Cam brings a lot of good things to the table as it relates to that. I, I What I'll say is that um, it, it, it's probably going to be one of their bigger lines that they've had in terms of just size. I think they could average 315 to 320, which is a big line, let's be honest. Um, it's not going to move like the 84 Nebraska line, but it doesn't mean it can't be effective. you got to get downhill, and your, your running back's got to be good. So I think the challenge when you're running sort of a zone scheme and you're trying to get downhill and you're doing those things is your running backs have to not only be able to hit a hole and, and know when to put their foot in the ground and really go, uh, but they also have to be able to make somebody miss um, because a lot of times in those, in those schemes, it's just sort of uh, messy. And again, I'm not a coach or former player or anything like that, but there's just sort of a there's just sort of a crunchiness in there, and you do rely to some degree on a running back to be able to navigate that space and get out the other end and have fun once he does. Nebraska's really struggled to find a running back who can go into you know that kind of crash and come out the other end, and they've got a you know, Jack, Jack Quesian has the ability to do it. It's got nimble feet. Ramir Johnson hits holes very hard. Sometimes he runs into the back of his lineman. 
and we don't know anything about A.J. Allen. A.J. Allen's probably a guy that's going to bounce the ball a lot, though. Like, he'll set you up inside, and he'll bounce it outside. So uh, that's where I see the offense. What did you see in camp? Anything jump out at you? Huh? I s- the part that jumped out to me, well, what everyone saw was uh, Scott and Trev having their little conversation. That goes back to media days with where Trev was. I believe Trev was the only athletic director at Media Days, is that no. correct? That's what oh, Tom told me. No. No? No. Okay. Well, they were all there. They were all there? Yeah. <laughs> I love Tom. Well, they um, were. No, I know. I'm not trying to be. No, I know. No, I know. Oh, yeah. I just, that's funny. Now, were they all, like, uh, doing a little 15-minute press conference? No, but, right. I mean, they were, yeah, they were there. Yeah. Okay. Well, his. Some his, of them were milling around. His presence per- looming over oh, the yeah. entire program. I is, think Trev is a little bit more prominent, yes. but no, Gene Smith talked about that, yes. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gene Smith gave a little press or two. Yeah. So. And, and would you, is Gene Smith. Would you see Gene Smith at every fo- Ohio State football practice? I'm, that's a genuine question. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. So that was notable to me. No. And not only that he was there, but when he. Like, I was standing right there when he walked in. I see Gene Smith at every wrestling practice. Okay. He was a wrestling coach. When Trev walked in, I was right there. And as soon as he walked in, Scott left his post on the field to go talk to Trev. Oh, yeah? I think that's notable. Um, I thought that the quarterbacks, you mentioned this yesterday, looked pretty good just in terms of um, arm talent. I thought that, <clears throat> you know, Richie Torres, he's the big one. He's 6'5". He's going to be able to put some zip on it. Chubba Purdy's got a nice ball. I thought Casey um, spun it pretty well, moved and got it out quick, got a compact motion. Um, But, yeah, I think that that that's – I don't know. I find it difficult to have have big-picture takeaways from these 30-minute settings where we're watching them play without pads. I just, you know, you could, you basically can see, oh, okay, that guy's pretty big. A.J. Allen and um, Janner and Bonner, two true freshmen, look the part. They are, they are stout in pads. They don't, you cannot obviously point them out as freshmen. Bonner uh, is, yeah. Yeah. A.J. Allen, I think, is the same way. Yeah, he's, he's a little tall. I mean, he's a little slight. Um, he looks probably 5'11", which is big ish. Uh, big ish. Yeah. He's not Jacquesiant, but well, sure. No, there, there. Allen has an interesting. Um, again, he looks a lot like Aaron Green. For people who remember who Aaron Green was, AJ Allen and Aaron Green's styles are very similar. And so, I'm, um, you know, Aaron Green was a dynamic player, about the same size, kind of tall, not quite as tall as Braylon Hurd. For people, continue. Yeah, I mean that's it. That's all I got. It's you know you can you can see the the O line's big. You can see that the quarterbacks can zip it. But I I don't think we saw anything that I'm that I'm running with and and filing away as something to be paid a ton of attention to going forward. I'm just surveying <coughs> surveying to see who's out there, who looks different than they did last year, who moves well, that sort of stuff. Hmm. A couple things. We'll talk quarterbacks here for a minute. The arm talent in Nebraska's quarterback room is as good as been a long time, and arm talent doesn't mean anything. Like you can have uh, you can have a hundred dollar arm, a ten cent, whatever, uh, you know, game management skills, and and be, uh, and it just doesn't make any difference. But the arm talent is there. Uh, Richie Torres is a great arm and it's fluid, 
and it, he, he moves through, you know, the whole thing, and it's real pretty. Um, Harburg has a lot of that, too. I think Harburg is actually a little bit more fluid of a mover than Torres, but the but Harburg's ball is a little fluttery because I think he's he's trying to feather it a little bit, whereas Tom uh, Torres just strokes it um, and really comes through it, and it's just really pretty. I don't know if he played baseball or not, but that kind of looks like it. Chubba's got a unique motion. Right, so he's got the under the ear motion, which you've seen, you know, Dan Marino or whatever. And usually, what happens is the ball will come out real tight, you know, because you don't have any wasted motion in there, and so it's not necessarily fluid, but it's real tight to his ear, and it kind of comes out. Sometimes the ball can sail high on that, but they like him. They like that about him. Um, they they feel like he can he can get it done. I think there's just a question of okay, when you've got that kind of motion, is your is your footwork. Because when you think about think about your footwork just as a, a natural extension, I don't know what it would look like in a basketball shot, but you want your footwork to be synced up with that motion. If you're not moving this very much, then you've got to make sure that everything is is working in 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 concert. This being the elbow, uh, your footwork. So your footwork has has to line up with your with your with your lower body, and so I think Mario Verduzco would talk about this a lot. Whipple hasn't talked about it a lot, but footwork and throwing the football is huge. Mm-hmm. A lot of people look just at the throwing motion like, oh, that's a good one, awesome. But the footwork is really important, and you just got to make sure the footwork is all synced up. And usually, you know, when you have a natural throwing motion, if you think about it in your mind, or a natural shooting motion. Usually that stuff's synced up because your body's done it so many times. And there's a fluidity to both. Well, when you have a tight motion like that, shoot, you, you can get a snap and you can throw that ball and not have to move your feet at all. And it probably looks pretty darn good. But when you're having to move and do all those other things, just making sure that it's synced up. Sam Keller was, had a little bit of a motion like that. But Chubba's got a stronger arm than Sam. Sam didn't have a super arm. He had probably, you know, 55. And Chubba can probably throw it longer. Um, the arm talent is there. I think they look relatively athletic. Uh, you know, Casey, I think, understands his game really well, and you can just see how he gets in and out of throws and things like that. There's a little bit more air under him at times, but that's okay. Joe Gans had a little air under his balls, and he was pretty good. Um, you know, he was a pretty good quarterback in Nebraska, one of the best. And Zach Taylor's, you know, his out, his out passes, would, the nose would tip down a little bit, and that's okay. Um, whereas Cody Green had a great arm and it it, it didn't always look as good, or um, Tanner Lee had a great arm and it didn't always look as good as Gans and and Taylor. So like I think the arm talent is there. Whipple emphasized a lot managing the offense, managing it, managing it. I think that's a question going forward. Thompson is the probably the, the guy that they like the most as a manager. The question is, does he? Is he able to do that against Big Ten defenses? I don't think he's going to face an elite Big Ten defense week one. He's got to go to Ireland to do it. They've had elite defenses in the past. I don't think they have one this year. I think that they're changing a lot of guys out, and they're 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 a work in progress. And then he's going to face North Dakota, which I North Dakota is unique. So you, North Dakota blitzes every play, and so they bring five or six guys all the time. But once I think you get the rhythm of that, you should be okay. But North Dakota will be different. And then I can't tell you crap about Georgia Southern. I'm, but my sense is they're probably not that good. The North Dakota analysis was impressive it's in true. its own right. Well, the coach is like he, he, he wants the, the two most unhappy people in the football stadium to be the quarterback and his mother. And he said that when he took it's the pretty job. good. So, they, I mean, they just blitz indiscriminately. 
And they give up a lot of big plays, but they also kind of make theirs. And then you go to OU, you play OU, and I don't know what OU's defense mm-hmm. is going to be like. It, you talk about transfers. OU's probably going to have six transfers starting. They will be in their third game. And Brent Venables is really exotic, right? So when he was at Clemson, he did all kinds of stuff. Their first two are nothing, right? Like, we're not going to know a ton about OU. We know that. a lot about – we'll know a lot about OU's scheme. Well, yeah, we what they're trying to do. We know a lot about their personnel. Execution. Ven- Ven- Venables is, plans. Yeah, he's a known quantity. But the thing with Venables is what makes his defenses really special is when he has all the pieces yeah. and they've had well, them. I'm, ju- I'm just saying they played, they played UTEP and Kent State. Like, you just – We won't learn a lot. Yeah. <laughs> UTEP will be interesting in the sense that UTEP typically throws the ball all over the yard. So, you know, you'll learn a little bit about how the DBs tackle and all those things. But um, but those first four games are manageable, in my opinion, in terms of, like, what you're looking for and managing it. And then you get into the Big Ten and you're playing Indiana and Rutgers. I think, I think if you were to ask the coaches, well, what do you know of Indiana and Rutgers, I think they would say, well, we're going to run the ball on Indiana and Rutgers. If we can't do that, we won't win, and we don't deserve to win. You know, those two schools are still are are not great on the defensive side of the ball. So the first half of the schedule you look at, and Casey Thompson should be able to manage that through his skill set. Question is, can they run the football downhill? We didn't see any. We didn't see any team periods, so it's kind of hard to tell. Um, and then when they when they're able to do that, can can Thompson you know pull it and throw it? How many more? How many times do you have to run the quarterback? If you have to run the quarterback more than ten times, I think you bring Chubba Purdy and Logan Smothers into question. If it were me, I wouldn't hesitate to use Logan Smothers as a as a wildcat compliment one or two times a game. I, I just would I would build it into the system and I'd say, listen, this guy's good enough to throw the ball in a game, but we're going to bring him in here and we're going to do something different, and it's going to mess with people because if Logan gets free, he's going to run for twenty. How do you how do you use that? Minnesota does. PJ Fleck has a has a Cole Kramer as their Wildcat quarterback. I'd love to see Smothers in a role like that. Um, I think he would be good at that, but I don't know if Nebraska's going to do it. But that's that's kind of what I thought and saw. We didn't talk much about the DBs. I wasn't there. Yeah, Evan was over Evan there. Evan was over there. Yeah. Um, I think the defensive line will be fine. In, in general, though, the, the DBs are large. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're, they're large. They're athletic. Like we like we said at the top, very uh, very talented crew. Just got to figure out um, what the right combination is, and we'll we'll see. Travis Fisher's been pretty complimentary of, of their study habits as well. Miles Farmer, uh, to your question about what kind of leader Miles Farmer has been, he's it's, he's one of the guys running these player led. Uh, film sessions that they're having after practice. Sure. Step in the right direction. It's got to come down and, and really make plays and run support. Um, it's going to be hard to throw over Miles Farmer. He's huge. Right? So, like, you feel good about what's going to happen in the back end. Good luck trying to get a post behind him. Um, although Michigan State got a flea flicker behind him last year because he got he bit on it. But um, it's going to be hard, I think, to throw it over him. The question is, can he come down and make the tackle? Um, and when you're that big and that tall – you know, you got to get down and, and make the play. And you don't usually, it's not always easy to get under the pads. So I think that's a question is tackling. Marquise Buford can get under anybody's pads. He's just not a big guy. Newsom had a pretty good tackling year last year as well. Newsom's a good tackler. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely. And you can put Buford in a spot where, you know, he's more often in the alley that you would associate with running the ball to that side of the field than Farmer. But if you put a guy like Buford out there, he's 5'9, 5'10. 
then you he better be really really good. And they've had some good ones that were that small. I mean, Aaron Williams sounds like he big. fits that bill. They they mm-hmm. he they talk about what he Fisher said this week unmatchable effort and how Buford was from day one. You know, one of their best one of their best. Uh, cornerback room students like he does he, che- he checks all the boxes well, to me as that corner, you need to check yes to be the kind of guy who gets who gets that playing time um gets that playing time as a as a dude who's who's a little bit undersized as a corner i think they'd love to play him at quarter i think if they can get to the point where he's a corner i think that's great um because as a corner all, some of that small stature actually plays into your yeah, you leverage, get in, you, well. Right. You get into people's pads, and they can't get off you, and and you're, I mean, you know, you're stride for stride, and all those things. But at safety, you have to get over the top, as they say. And what you don't want, and they're not going to play Ohio State, but play someone. Let's say Sam Laporta at Iowa. Well, yeah, Sam Laporta up the seam is a pretty dangerous football player. And let's say Sam Laporta gets past your your nickel. And all of a sudden, he's he's running up on that safety. He comes up fast, and you know, you got to make sure that your guy's there to make the play, so on and so forth. But hey, we watched Levante David used to do it. and He's only about six one um, as a linebacker. All right, um, interesting part of camp. I you know, we'll talk to the special teams coach Bill Bush on Thursday. Um, maybe a couple other coaches. I'll be curious to. Special teams is tough. Oh, you're writing a story about it today. I did it. It's in. So much is about that punter. Right. Is he good? Yeah, they can talk all they want. The story is basically, you know, they're popping each other. People yeah. are people care about special teams. That matters. Oh, sure. That matters. You know, that was Bush's first decree. That's Mickey Joseph and Sean mm-hmm. Beckton and all the other coaches are saying, "Hey, my guys are going to play special teams." That all matters. It does. <laughs> it does matter. Special teams is often defined by, did that guy make the two field goals he had an opportunity to make, and did that punter not shank the ball? <laughs> 30 yards yep all right let's Sometimes move to the schedule simple. let's move to uh let's move to nebraska's football schedule each year i do kind of a feature ranking the easiest the schedule easiest game to hardest game so the easiest game is 12 and the hardest game is four is one um and i will kind of write that for the for the uh the online and the paper on wednesday so i will react to your list i'm curious to curious to hear what you have i think we can both maybe we maybe we we both agree on the hardest game michigan yeah yeah so that part's not necessarily the fun part is picking the hardest game like that's usually a pretty standard and we'll get there in a minute what i always find interesting is sort of the middle because that's where you kind of like okay this is this and this is this there's a little bit of matchup quality to it all right so what is the easiest game on their schedule number 12 are we we, okay, so we are including North Dakota and Georgia Southern. Absolutely. Okay, Georgia Southern. I just made that decision right now when you told me you had zero scouting report on Georgia Southern and okay. you did have one on North Dakota. Okay. <laughs> then North Dakota. Uh, then this, you know, I think we're getting so, I'll just say it's Northwestern is, is number three for me. We're getting caught up in what happened last year with Illinois. And I know Ireland is a long way away. It is. Northwestern's not a good football team. Nebraska. Neither was, neither was Illinois. Fair. That's fair. Northwestern is not. I just. 
Northwestern is a team that Nebraska beat 56-7 to last year. I think the talent on Nebraska's side has improved since then. I don't necessarily feel that way about Northwestern. And I just think that that is a game where you don't need to do anything exceptional. You can win comfortably by simply staying on schedule, mm. converting third and short, scoring two or two or three touchdowns. It's, I think that the the possibility exists. I think Nebraska is like a twelve or thirteen point favorite. Yeah. Possibility exists that that could be really ugly. Yeah, like it was last year. But at the bare minimum, I just I'm not. I, 19, I look at the rosters. I look at the rosters. Yeah. I don't see a, a huge concern there. That'd be a pretty good pep talk before the game. Jimmy comes <laughs> in. Hey, score two or three touchdowns. Call it a day. I really don't see. The roster, <laughs> like I, I think, I think the players would be like, actually, yeah, that sounds about right. I just think, um, okay, okay. So let me take it, let me take it another I'm, angle. Urgency is sure. there. Yeah, everyone knows what the deal is this year. Yeah. Last year, maybe it was part they got caught off guard against Illinois. Sure. How do you create urgency when I think it's go, I think you go it, to Ireland and pre-existing you get there, and then you're there for four days. Pre-existing condition, Casey Thompson. I think if if you gave him truth serum, he wants this to be his last year of college football. He sure. wants to go to the NFL oh, okay. after yeah, this. Absolutely. Scott Frost, the guys who care in that locker room, like Garrett Nelson, considers Scott Frost a father figure. They know what the deal is with his job situation. That's built in. Right. It's, everyone knows what the deal is. This is a one-year experiment. Right. If it works, great. Everyone gets to come back, and we're going to be feeling great about ourselves, and we're going to go to a bowl game, and it'll be the best. If it doesn't work, everyone's getting fired, and we're, the guys who are coming back, will lo- a lot of them will probably have to transfer because they. That's what happens when you get new coaches. Okay, so if you, that doesn't fire you up, if that doesn't, if that doesn't create urgency, I don't know what will. So you go to you're the head coach of the Nebraska football team. You go to Ireland, and let's say it's it's Wednesday, and you've done most of the preparation for the game already back in Lincoln. It's Wednesday. The game's on Saturday. Imagine you know you got those little like toggles, and on the far end is like. We're going to let the guys have a little bit of fun and blow off a little steam. And on the other end, it's a bit like we are going to make them feel almost almost bad for being in Ireland. And there's like three toggles on each side, like gradations. Which, which way do you go? I'd let them have fun, but I know that's not how football coaches think. I, I, I'm not surprised <laughs> that Jimmy went with that. So how, would I you go that, all the way to the extreme edge or would you go over one or two? Or? Let's, you know, let's see some sights. Okay. I, I talked to a couple of people who went, who like you know pre-scouted the island trip. There's a Guinness factory where you can like get your face made in the beer, like coffee art. They have beer art. Yeah. So go do that. Drink your face at the Guinness factory. Stuff like that. Go yeah, see go some sights. Well. Yeah. The players all having Guinness in the middle. Well, of the afternoon. Yeah, sometimes oh, things happen behind closed doors that we don't know about. Obviously, we're talking upperclassmen here, Sam. And this is my program. Yeah. I run my program a little bit different. That's than right, most. Jimmy. I run my program a little bit different. You'd than have most. them sleeping on floors and couches, wouldn't you? Exactly. Let's put you over here in a hostel. <laughs> <laughs> we're not staying out at the hotel. We're in a hostel about three miles, three just, blocks away, and we're going to be at the pub. Tom, on Friday night. I've heard Tom say on several occasions that eh, if they lose Northwestern, it's uh, not yeah, the end of the world. I don't agree with that. I strongly disagree with that. Game. Northwestern's bad. You yeah. should beat them comfortably, but you should definitely beat them. Next game on the list: Illinois. Why? Because they they should be pissed at, at Illinois. Okay. Last year, Illinois caught them off guard. You know, we, oh, the the defensive front alignment we alignment we didn't see it coming, and new coaching staff, all that stuff. Okay, that's not there anymore. 
We know what the coach staff is. We know what they like to do. For the most part, they have a new OC. I know that's a little bit different, but Illinois is going to have played enough games by that time where you'll have enough film to discern what they're trying to do, which I don't think is going to be all that different from what they were doing last year. Um, and a sim- I, I don't think Illinois is going to be a very good football team. Okay. Next. So Jimmy, uh, the, the, the first two games of the Power 5 teams is high on the Jimmy Pist meter. Well, that's, they're they're gonna should be, they're be. Gonna be mad. Anyone who was on that team last year should be embarrassed yes, that they lost to Illinois. Go to the next one. And that's a huge motive. Uh, Indiana. Okay. Terrible season last year. Um, interesting transfer <laughs> situation with them. They appear to have a they good do. quarterback. Yes, right? they do. Um, but, again, I just <laughs> I think they're bad. Yep. That's that's my reasoning on, on most of these. Next one. Rutgers, I think they're bad. I don't think they Friday Night Lights. Yeah, strange road, but I mean the rest of the the rest of the teams are legit good. So at a certain point, you just have to. I think the food trucks outside the stadium do serve Strombolis. Yeah, and meatball subs. Indiana and Rutgers are not going to be averaging three fifteen, three twenty along the lines. So there's there's going to be an element of okay of push, like you said. Yeah, Rutgers is a couple years away. It's a straight. They're going to get there though. The the path to victory in those games is a straight line. Yeah. You don't well, got to overthink it. Just so we're clear, Rutgers took Michigan to the fourth quarter. That's okay. That happens. Rutgers That's is, college football. Rutgers can have that kind of game, but you know they have a very good coach. I just happen to think that Nebraska will wear them out. And their quarterback is their quarterback situation is well. We don't know. How would you describe? So it? Noah Vedral is is clearly the the best option, but I think his arm strength. Think about and what things, you just said. Well, let me finish. Okay. The challenge with Noah is that he obviously understands offenses really well. Can he create the kind of plays down the field that turn you into something more than a an, uh, the, the football equivalent of a baseball offense that bunts? Because that's kind of what they are. They bunt a lot. Yeah. Bunt, bunt, bunt. And they don't have, to my eye, a ton of <laughs> game breakers right. around him. So, again, next game. not a great team. Uh, the next one may I may receive some pushback on Minnesota is the next one just because oh, yeah. there is a, a a genuine dislike of Minnesota that helps when you play in football. Once again, I think. this high with the the anger. Yeah, I, oh, I just think that that matters. Okay, motivation will be well, there. Worth the last. It's a years. it's a home game. Yeah, I can a lot understand of that. The last couple understand years that. Made, understand that. Anything. It's a home game. Um, Minnesota. Can be, I mean, they they have a new offensive coordinator, but it's an offensive coordinator who was there before. We kind of understand what Minnesota's trying to do. Minnesota plays a style of football where if you can get an early lead on Minnesota, that becomes a challenging situation for Minnesota. They like to be in control. Um, that's that's how they win a lot of their games. They they stake an early lead and then they just sort of hide and and hog the ball for a while. <clears throat> and I think that that. While it has been very effective against Nebraska, it's very easy to if what were you last year? What did we have the Jenga thing for the special yeah. section? You pull one Jenga block from the Minnesota game plan. Yeah. It's easy for that thing to topple well, down. Jenga has remained intact. It has, but that's I would say that's Jenga. mostly against against the odds. Next game, uh, Purdue. Now we're getting into the hard games. Yeah, Purdue is on the road. Purdue is has probably the would you say Aiden O'Connell is the best quarterback in the Big Ten West coming into the year? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yes, 
So yeah, you have you have that to deal with. It's a it's a change of pace game that you're going to be playing all these teams like Illinois and Rutgers and is, is Minnesota. Where's this? I'm trying to figure out where the schedule lands here. Uh, Purdue is okay. Purdue is before Minnesota, but you're you're gearing yourself. What I'm trying to get at is you're gearing yourself up Minnesota to play is November fourth. Yeah. And Purdue is October 15th. You're gearing yourself up to play Big Ten West football, which is stopping the run, stopping the run, stopping the run, stopping the run. Purdue's a change of pace in that regard. So that's tricky. After Purdue, I would pit Oklahoma. I didn't know what to do with that game. I just think that... Well, it's at home. Yeah, it's at home. It's. I think people get hypnotized by the brand, but I also just think... I know that the Oklahoma roster, you think the Oklahoma roster is not quite as good, but I believe in Brent Venables as a talent evaluator, sure. and I tr- I'm going to trust that some of the new guys that we aren't so sure about are going to hit. Okay. Um, it's not as good. Yeah. They replaced NFL draftees with guys from G5 schools. Yeah. So, Not that those guys are you know, all bad players, but it's just going to take a year. I think... And, and if Venables is true to his word, he has already said, I'm not, this is not a one-year, you know, the goal at Oklahoma is to win a national championship. They've been to the playoffs. They've won the Heismans. So his task is not to build a one-year wonder. It is to build a program that can actually do what what Bob Stoops did, which I think means taking, you know, uh, taking a few steps back in year one to prove a point. Because where Lincoln Riley had gotten it was really, really good, but it clearly was not quite where they wanted it. And, you know, many of the things that Venables has talked about since he got there is related to cleaning up some of the things that Riley wasn't able to get. I would say that's also <clears throat> going to be what, like, I think what no- what people think Northwestern is, is, what that Northwestern game is, is what actually is going to be what that right. Oklahoma game is. I assume they will be 3-0 and heading into that game. There's going to be a lot of juice heading into that game. Ton. A new group. Um, the the players that have been here before aren't necessarily used to that feeling going into a, a game that has juice um, with that kind of record. I know it's three zero against against nobody, but it is still that. And I think there's an outside chance that they'll be favored in that game. How do they handle that? That's those are that's why the Oklahoma thing is is interesting to me. Uh, then I would go Wisconsin. I'm tr- I think that most people would probably have Wisconsin as the second hardest game. I just think that Wisconsin, Wisconsin's quarterback play has been so bad <laughs> recently, yeah. and I I know that they overcome it time and time again. But I think that that I just can't get past that. And I was kind of the same thing. You can flip flop these two games. I think going to Kinnick and the fact that it's a rivalry game and it's always, you know, a weird Black Friday noon mm-hmm. kick and, you know, right after Thanksgiving, a lot of moving parts there. And who knows where the season will be by then. I put Iowa too. Michigan won the best team on the schedule. You think they are? You think they're the best team on the schedule? I, th- I think, yeah. I fairly, think I ranked fairly, them the highest of all the Fairly comfortably, in, in my MVP. opinion, yeah. But we'll see. Like, they have to rebuild the the defense to mm-hmm. some degree. Um, it's hard to lose some of the players they lost and assume. And they won some close games last year. Like they barely beat Nebraska. They really they didn't play great against Rutgers. They got better as the season went on, but you know Michigan wasn't wasn't lights out 
early. So they're they're and everybody kind of knows their playbook now. Like they know who K McNamara is. They know how to challenge him. That they're not going to be taken by surprise by anything he does. So I th- I'll be curious. I do think that Michigan is uh, the hardest game. I want to talk briefly about national college football, and then we will end with the volleyball stuff. Um, so I mean, my preseason AP top twenty-five poll. I send it in. Um, I'll save that for when it actually comes out, which is like August 15th or 16th or somewhere in there. But, but, but the four teams that you would expect to be in my top four are there. And they're the same four teams that have dominated college football really since the inception of the college football playoff. I don't think we even need to name them. I'm actually kind of curious. I think there's wiggle room here. I mean, I know three. But well, I'm Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. Okay, yeah. that's that was the one question I had because yeah. it was a weird year last year. So, so they're they're the ones, right? Here's my question to you: How does that change? Because at the end of the day, well, let's say they take the playoff to 12 or 16, how does it change? Because I don't really think it's great for the sport to just have four. I think it would be great if it were 10. You know, and the 10 were a little bit more interchangeable kind of the way it is in a lot of professional sports i think major league baseball has has tilted in some unhealthy ways towards especially in the nl toward the dodgers just being really really good but i think the nba there's a there's a certain rotational aspect to who's good in the playoffs and the nfl is absolutely that way mm-hmm. how does this change and maybe it can't change uh it changes by marrying marquee brands with the with the kind of coach that can extract the kind of power that the kind of momentum that Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson have established. Mm-hmm. I think we have the potential for that to be happening at USC right now okay. with Lincoln Riley. I think we have the potential for that to be happening right now at Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman. They're recruiting okay. on a different they are on a different plane than they have been in years past. This is true. Um, the other factor that I think matters here is money. I've, NIL hasn't changed the status quo yet. It's early. You, college football, you don't change college football on that scale in that short a time. I'm watching Texas A&M. I think Jimbo Fisher could potentially be that same kind of coach. He won a national championship at Florida State. Mm-hmm. They are throwing bags of money at these players as much as he wants to <laughs> deny that. Right. And the recruiting classes, the recruiting rankings are reflecting that. Recruiting rankings are not all telling. Texas A&M's been recruiting well for years and winning eight games. I know that's not the end-all, be-all, but if you're out recruiting guys like Nick Saban and and <clears throat> Kirby Smart or at least re- recruiting on par with them, you got a shot. That's, and Mickey Joseph said it yesterday. You can't win with bad players. You know, the, and that's that's relative. I don't think and LSU I won a national championship with great players, but LSU is not in this conversation. No, like Georgia's won a national title, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. They've all won national titles now, but Georgia but and LSU by the way, are not I'm the watching, same. I'm watching LSU too because Brian Kelly is a good football coach, and if you can just harness Texas, Texas has been trying to do this for years, right? For years, eventually, Texas is going to be back just because they pour so many I'm resources sure into. It. I I do think so. They pour sure. they pour so many resources into it, and they're going to find the right coach at some point. Yeah, because the resources aren't going away. That's what I think changes it. It's Lincoln Riley in Los Angeles with all that money, 
bringing in guys like Jordan Addison and recruiting all the great quarterbacks that he recruits. And not only he's he's I think he's the best um, offensive mind in the sport. Yeah, that's good. The, all those factors meshing together that's what can change it but it's going to take time you're going to need a couple years like usc can maybe win the pac-12 this year Mm. but if you put them on a field with georgia they're going to get embarrassed Mm. it's not the same Mm. it's completely different notre dame not there yet no need to find i I don't think i don't think need to find need to find the quarterback we'll see we'll see we'll see that's what I think. That's how it changes. I'm not sure that it will. Notre Dame's been to the playoff a number of times. Let me say this about about the about them. Um, you know, I I, I think it's just uh, two words. Jimmy Clausen. Jimmy Clausen was the number one player in the country. He went to Notre Dame. It just didn't go well. I think it's very hard for Notre Dame to recruit at that level and then have those kids go there. And I'm just not kidding because I'm you know. We've been, my wife and I have been to Notre Dame a number of times. It's a place we like to go. Uh, I don't, I think it's very hard for, um, you know, and Jimmy Clausen was an example. It's really hard for elite athletes to go to that campus. And, and if you don't love the campus, the town outside of it is not going to help. I'm not kidding. Like, Lincoln is a much cooler place than South Bend, Indiana. It is. Um, it's just it's a challenge. I think you really have to love going to Notre Dame, and they actually have they don't have some advantages that other schools do because they're a private school. Mm-hmm. They don't have the they don't have that state money behind it. The governor can't say anything. There's none of that leverage going on, and so Notre Dame. I think the reason Brian Kelly left there is because I think he would Brian Kelly left Notre Dame because he didn't think he'd win the national championship there, and and I think that that's actually accurate. Um, that's interesting, though. You feel like so. So the way that you view this situation is, the way it's going to break is if there is a special actor, disruptor, a, yeah, a disruptor, a special actor that comes along and displaces it. Which, to be clear, is not a systemic change, but really just a team. Is a change in the status quo? A team replacing Clemson. Let's be honest. Clemson's we're joining team, those ranks. I don't know. Then Clemson it is. will be the team that's going to leave. If if you're going to vacate one of the teams. Um, yeah. If USC gets good, then Clemson's probably out or something. You know, Clemson's got the easiest league. Well, ideally, but, ideally, you know, we're gonna have eight, eight right. playoff, and we're gonna so have, we're gonna go to yeah. sixteen. And the question becomes then, okay, so at the very least, are the top four gonna remain the top four? And that's the challenge, I think. Um, as the the playoff committee considers what it's doing, they have to find a way um, to incentivize teams making the playoff. And there being value because of the playoff, whether that's monetary value or that is putting games on campus sites early in the process. In other words, if you become the number eight team in the playoff, you get a home game. Number six, you get a home game, which obviously would be the biggest ticket on the planet. You get a home game. Then I think you can begin to make a conversation because what you have to do is you have to change the system. You have to find a way to, you know, incentivize a system that gets other teams to want to do that. And here's how Nebraska folds into it. I'm a skeptical at eight. That even, I'm serious that Nebraska could ever make eight in the league that they're in now. Yeah. I'm skeptical. I'm with you. Um, Sixteen's attainable though. Just so we're clear, since the since the advent of the Big Ten West, Jenny, the advent, which was in 2014. 
if I'm not mistaken, there are two teams from the Big Ten West that would have made eight. Wisconsin in 2017 and Iowa in 2015. And you want to know what? They were 12-0 and when they went to the conference title games that they lost. But those teams didn't lose. <laughs> Everyone else would have been outside of the eight. So eight didn't seem possible to me. Twelve, huh, sort of. Yeah. But it doesn't bring it that. Now you get to 16. And all of a sudden, a nine-win team has got its hat in the ring. And all of a sudden, winning nine becomes the thing that it used to be. Winning nine used to be a big deal because that got you on New Year's Day back 25 years ago. Or it got you real close. Yeah. Like, oh, we made it to New Year's yeah, Day. We're in the people, Cotton Bowl. Back when you people know. watched the bowl selection right. show, yeah. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm talking even before that. I'm talking about in the 80s and 90s, it was a big deal to play on January 1. Right, well, just the idea, like, when the bowl's pairings right. were released, functionally, huge deal. Right. Yeah. Functionally, it was like playing in, you know, the playoff. It was just one game on a day. You get to 16, and all of a sudden, I think, there's a story that you can create that Nebraska can maybe find a way to get incrementally back because I think the biggest issue with the playoff right now is anyone outside of it is just not it doesn't matter it really like there's no value in it all of a sudden you get to 16 the 16 team's probably going to get hammered but you're all of a sudden making a conversation that can be potentially special well, yeah I mean we all knew Cincinnati had no chance last year people in Cincinnati went crazy that's you know you're drumming up excitement that that just hasn't existed on most of these campuses. For I think the last Cincinnati five was a years. concession. I, I well, think I'm, I'm so not, long yeah. as this thing, so long as this thing is is up to a committee, which I don't think it should be, but so long as it's up to a committee, they're basically a political body, and they're going to they basically gave Cincinnati a concession and gave them an opportunity to prove it, and they didn't prove it, and there's not going to be another group of five team until they change the thing. I just guarantee. That's it. fine. That's I don't fine. care if that team goes. I'm not saying that in Cincinnati is indicative of anything to come. I'm just saying that the the buzz that that campus that city felt sure. around that's important. It's awesome for other teams to for other programs, other towns to I mean, feel that, and that's what 16 right. would do. It would. I mean, we watched that game, and that that was a bad game. Yeah, that was Alabama Most didn't of them even are. really try. Most well, of them but, are. They are, but some of it is you know pressure and oh my god we're behind and all this other stuff. But that game was Alabama ran the ball over and over again, and they knew Cincinnati could not score, and it was just a bad football game. All right, moving on to volleyball at the end. So let's talk real quickly. So Kayla Caffey um, is not on the uh, is not on the Nebraska volleyball team. According to her, two weeks ago she found out she was going to get an athletic scholarship. Um, in not getting that athletic scholarship, she decided to enter the transfer portal about a week after that. John Cook goes to Big Ten Media Days on Monday. Um, here's part of what I think happened, and this isn't related to the comments, and I'll read some of those in a minute. I think it was a cool event, and there was about 3,000 Nebraska reporters there, and I think John Cook kind of had an open mic rant. And he's surrounded by people who cover him all the time, even maybe even more than normal. Mm-hmm. They're in Chicago, and I don't know if he thought, oh, maybe saw, people back won't Kevin see it. I saw Kevin Suits from, from 10-11 say there was about 50 people around the right. Nebraska okay. set up there. So that's and a lot. I think 13 of them were from Nebraska. There you go. And so there's a bunch of people around, and honestly, I think he just kind of had an open mic moment. I'm going to talk about NIL. I'm going to talk about this player. I'm going to talk about the super seniors, and I'm just going to opine at length. And then I think after about four hours after he did all that, I think it dawned on him, somebody over there, like, oh, man, 
we really unnecessarily disparage the character of this player. Like that that wasn't helpful at all to anybody. It wasn't helpful to her, it wasn't helpful to us. We are not getting her back. And so I think there was like two or three months of pent up whatever that went into that open mic moment. And again, this team wins all the time, so it doesn't matter. Like they'll win. They're gonna win all these games and matches, and it's not gonna matter. Nobody's gonna care. It's no big deal. But you know what? It's a good thing. Because that was not a great look. It's not just that they disparaged Kayla Caffey's character. To me, it's they they tried to present two different uh, realities. The first reality is that Kayla Caffey dissed him. That's that was the first. That was what I took from the Felt first. Felt like one. it. She dissed him. She didn't want to be a part of the program. Pretty much refuted what she, pretty much refuted what she told or what which and what she said in her Instagram statement, which is a weird thing that we have to deal with now. People you know, quoting people off Instagram captions. Yeah. I don't I don't love doing that. Well, but it's it press is, release. It is. <laughs> but think of like Instagram and press release. I get it. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, refuting what she said when she announced her departure. And then they came back a couple hours later, and it's like, well, actually, it she wasn't that. Yeah, that rubs me the wrong way. It's it not might. just that. It it's not just that you dragged her through the mud. It's that you did so, and you didn't necessarily have your facts straight, right? Like, anytime uh, this is a great rule of thumb for anyone who speaks in public or is interviewed by press in any forum, if you have to release a statement to to clarify quote unquote your other statement your other statement wasn't very good no it wasn't and that's what that's basically what it was john cook i don't maybe he, maybe he did regret some of the big picture opinions he was he, he gave at the, at the mic i think but i think it was mostly about yeah we made a mistake here we didn't we did wrong by kayla caffey and here's our attempt at saving it i don't think it was a very great one so let me let me uh read a little bit of this and this to me is not this isn't helpful but okay um the other thing that's really made me realize is what nil has done to college sports and these athletes because now you see who is transferring and who is leaving and i could go through several examples it's about where can i get the next best deal and this has infiltrated college sports and it's a sad deal so it just takes me back to a scene in the movie in the night. Okay, and it goes into the movie. Marathon. Yeah, you read that. What are you thinking about Kayla Caffey? She went for the bag. Right. That's not what happened. Nebraska's volleyball program is absolutely benefiting more than any other volleyball oh, yeah. program in the country off of NIL. Come on. So I'm not sure. And he, another line he said, NIL poisons people's minds. And I'm like, okay. Um, and yet, here's the key. Kayla Caffey did not turn out an athletic scholarship. There's, there's, there is still the impression that Nebraska offered her that and she turned it down. And again, a, a spokesman at Nebraska just confirmed to me about 10 minutes ago that did not happen. We don't want to know why people think that because they trust John Cook implicitly. Didn't happen. Yeah. She you gotta, didn't turn down an athletic scholarship. There's an impression, even after his clarification, well, she turned it down and was going to do it. No, she, was, she didn't have one. And so the, uh, the impression that's out there is somehow they went through all this time and trouble to keep her on the team, and then they offered her a scholarship, and then for some bizarre reason, maybe she didn't take it. 
That well, not happen. just for some bizarre reason. The implication is she got more money somewhere else. Yeah, and it's just not accurate. There was she was she was going to use nil to stay at Nebraska. This is not the spirit of the rule, and and again, nobody cares about the spirit of the rule anymore. Obviously, <laughs> but this is really not what you should be doing. This is not what you should be doing. This is not how you should not compensate. Your athlete, you should not require your athletes to pay for their, their classes via NIL money if they had a scholarship the year prior and they were a second-team All-American. It's not the spirit of the rule. And this is an area where the NCAA has no control. And it's a problem because although I think Nebraska volleyball has made the choice of, like, we're going to move on, somebody's going to come, some team in some sports going to come along and they're going to have, like, a super team where, where athletes are just not, they're just getting NIL deals and they're not getting scholarships. Here's what I think can happen in this case, and then we'll close it out. I think Nebraska volleyball had a very good team without Kayla Caffey. They were going to have a great team. I think at the time, maybe the, the time that he talked to her about it, maybe they didn't know if they were going to get Caitlin Order up. Maybe, maybe they knew that Callie Schwartzbog was going to transfer. Maybe they knew that Kaylin Meyer wasn't going to stick around. So I think they wanted to make sure that if they didn't, if they struck out in some other areas, they had Kayla Caffey coming back either way. Sometimes when you try so hard to do a good thing, it ends up it ends up being bad. Because think about all the hours and the frustration that Nebraska volleyball spent in its off season going through something that will not even benefit them all the way up until yesterday. And sometimes, and this is hard for people to do. Sometimes you just got to let seniors leave. And he did. And the one true thing he said yesterday is I've learned something about super seniors. And I think it's true. You get to a point, And I'll tell you what, I can almost make the argument for a couple of super seniors last year on Nebraska's football team. Too much. Mm. And some of them were good. I'm not going to say who, but I think it went on a little too long. I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's almost like that last year. What are you here doing? It's year six. It's year seven. You're not really a kid. You're way beyond your re- your your bachelor's degree. It helps you appreciate a little bit more what Damian Daniels did. Damian Daniels could have come back. He already had his masters. DeAndre Thomas too. Yes, I will say Damian Daniels is a little different because he had that degree just like yeah. Kayla Caffey did. And I actually respect what Damian Daniels did. I think Nebraska would have taken him back too. Oh yeah. But I think there's a cost that comes along with bringing players back for so many years that it doesn't really feel like they're part of it anymore. They're just kind of these, they're like, they're like hired, they're like free agents that final year. There's, there's a lesson to be learned there. And then I've always believed too, don't redshirt the kids, just play them. Because most of these guys, and you can probably speak for yourself, I don't know how many years you were in college. Four. After about four years, you're ready to go. You know what I'm saying? I didn't feel that way, but but after okay, <laughs> maybe if you've gone another year, maybe, maybe I would have. Maybe I would have. But I think maybe there comes a it's point. It's probably where best it's like, to leave when it's hard to leave. To your point. Oh yeah, because I think you stay too long, and all of a sudden, and so like people, coaches have used this little four game redshirt rule to get cute, and I'm like, no, just expect your players to be there for four years, and if they if they, if there might be a couple cases on the line where you need a fifth year or whatever. But otherwise, just expect to get everybody out in four. The best teams in the country, the best teams in the country, the four that we were just talking about, they only have the players for three because they're all going to the NFL. 
and the and most often they only get to play for two because they're right. stuck behind someone else who's awesome. That's right. And it works for them. It's not that bad of a deal for them. Let I me, think other schools got to think One about more that. quick thing, <clears throat> another factor at play here. This was the first ever Big Ten Volleyball Media Days. You know? Yeah. It's cool. You, you mentioned it's very cool, but you were talking earlier about, you know, Cook kind of had an open mic moment. There's, you know, 50 reporters around. He's not, I mean, the, the volleyball press court in Nebraska is bigger than 99.99999% of volleyball press corps at other schools. Right. It's not that big. It's not that big. And I think it was just a perfect confluence of a lightning rod storyline at a, you know, at a rare event where John Cook is under a, a, a enhanced microscope. I don't think he handled that that spotlight too well. No. I think if you want to get a hot take, none I of think, us are perfect. I think the spotlight or the moment might have been a little bit too big right there. None of us are perfect, and so like I want to give I want to give enough grace to say that like I'm a blunt person and I say stupid things all the time. So to be clear, I don't think I would have done that, but I also don't think I would have like strung that player like I wouldn't have had. I would have just I would have said, Kayla. If you want to go play a seventh year somewhere else, go for it. I think it's. I think you, you can't play much better than you did in the national title game. You're the best player, and she was. She was the best player on Nebraska's team that night. So, you know, that's a great way to end it. Um, but that's hard. I get that. That's hard. You know, it's hard letting go. Especially now, there's like, not to not to confuse people even further. There is money to be had for playing college sports. That I think that's a factor now too. That it is. All right. That is our Pick 6 podcast for this week. For Jimmy, I'm Sam. We'll be back next week to talk about more Nebraska football. Um, we will be one week closer to Ireland. That's a surreal experience, that. Like, it doesn't yeah. really feel like the season is here. And when it, even when it gets here, it won't feel like it. Nebraska's got a tricky, tricky transition going from that first game to its next game. Um, it's going to feel like that's all one game. It's going to be an odd experience. For Jimmy, I'm Sam. This is the Pick 6 podcast. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.